0: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk live in the Washington, D.C. area Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
1: are facing complete please stand by now downloading tech talk radio with dr richard schertz and jim russ tech talk radio it's technology you can understand and now here are dr
0: richard schertz and jim russ
2: welcome to tech talk radio we are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford university talking technology i'm dr richard schertz it's Groundhog Day. and i'm jim russ Well and we're yes, back it no we're still in the bunker Groundhog Day. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we're still in coronavirus isolation. Mm -hmm. But as always, it was a big week in uh, technology. Microsoft is in active negotiations with TikTok to purchase them from ByteDance. This is after uh, Trump wants to ban their use in the U.S. And we finally have the the first COVID tracing app has been released. This is the technology that was developed by Google and Apple together. They created an API to make these apps. And guess what? The first app that's been released has been released in Virginia. So Virginia hmm. is the first one to have it. I'll talk about how you can download that tracing app and exactly what it does. And this, I'm going to talk about a few things that are interesting this week. The tip of the week is how to use, uh, how to use PDFs. If you ever had to fill out a PDF and then you just don't want to print it write on it, You'd rather fill in the blanks, but yeah. there are, there's no way to do it. I'll tell you how to do it. It's a very nice trick, and it's very convenient. And uh, well, I'm going to also talk about the idea of the week. There's a, a, an organization out there. I think it's really innovative, Black Girls Code. And they're training uh, African-American girls to, to uh, enter the tech field and teach them how to code. It's really a great, a great initiative on the part of that nonprofit This week we're going to feature one of the founders of the discipline of AI. He's actually the man who coined the term artificial intelligence, and he developed the LISP programming language. Uh, LISP programming language was used for, you know, programming a lot of AI applications back in the day. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yes, we got an email <laughs> from, uh, from Jim in Baltimore. Oh, I've been <laughs> yeah. outed. What do you know about that? Dear Doc, my wireless Apple keyboard has developed a problem. All of a sudden, several keys stopped functioning. They, I did not spill anything on it, and I replaced the batteries. The keys in question are close to one another on the far right side of the keyboard. What could be wrong? Signed, Hunting and Pecking in Baltimore. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, Hunting and Pecking... You're not the only one that's got a problem. Really? This is a common complaint about Apple keyboards. I went on the web, and I went to discussion forums, and people are totally teed off with this because there will be a a group of keys that will all go out together. Yep. And some people have tried various fixes. Uh, They've tried software fixes. They say it could be a software problem, and then that that uh, you know they'll do an or else or they'll upgrade their operating system and the keyboard will stop working one person actually opened up the back of the keyboard and you could see a, a ribbon cable back there they pulled the, the they they pulled the ribbon cable out of the plug cleaned the plug cleaned the um, cleaned the connector itself within the ribbon cable uh, with isopropyl alcohol then they they blew it dry and after it was completely dry they plugged it back in and they they said that fixed it So that was a bad connection with the ribbon, the ribbon connector there. Um, But uh, others uh, think it's just a hardware problem. And here's the here's the thing: Apple is silent on it. I went to the Apple website; they're not saying anything about it. They're just waiting for people to well replace the keyboard, and they're expensive. So I don't have a lot of good advice, Jim. I couldn't get any. uh, I just I just there was just a lot of controversy. And I probably um, the, only hard, uh, the only hard recommendation was cleaning that ribbon cable. That's about the only that's what I'll thing do. that I found. Uh, we got good. an email from Alan in St. Louis. Dear Tech Talk, I really, uh, I, I really love my old Dell Optiplex 745 desktop computer. Now, my, this computer's got an 80-gig hard drive. And when I turn it on, the hard drive makes this clicking sound for about 5 to 10 seconds. And then it finally starts booting up uh, slowly. And then it eventually it will boot up. Now, sometimes the clicking sound goes on for more than 5 to 10 seconds. Now, I want to know, do you think this hard drive's going bad? And what's the best way to get files off of that, uh, that old computer? Love the podcast, Alan in St. Louis. Well, Alan, your hard drive is bad. And you're lucky that it even boots up at all. So you need to copy your files as quickly as possible. What you want to do is get a USB hard drive. Um, that's a hard drive that, and you can get them for less than a hundred bucks, plug it into the USB port on that computer and then turn on the computer and hope that it boots up one more time. And then you just open up your windows Explorer file and, uh, go to one of the uh, subdirectories of where it has the files where you want to copy all the files. Then you open up another version of windows Explorer and then go to the, um, then open up the uh, the hard drive, the external hard drive, which which might be listed as a, as a D drive, for instance. Open that up, and then what you're going to want to do, highlight the folder that you want to copy, and simply drag it from the uh, one Windows Explorer w- window to the other one. And so you're just dragging it over to the uh, to the hard drive, and it'll and it'll copy all the files onto the onto the external hard drive. And then go to the go to the second uh, subdirectory that you want to copy. Just drag them over. And, and, and you get all your files copied off. Now don't forget about the files that are on the desktop. You might have some files up there after you've cert, after you are certain that you, uh, have all the files that from your computer, you want to go back and double check. You've got good copies on the, on the external hard drive. Then you can just turn off your machine and go buy a new one. And. Uh, I really don't have a good suggestion on what to, what to do with it. I mean, you could replace the hard drive, I suppose, if you want to keep it. But it's, it's so old, you may want to get a new one. So best of luck with that, um, Alan. Uh, we got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc and Jim and the ethereal Mr. Big Voice. Ethereal. You know, Bob in Maryland just loves uh, Mr. Big Voice.
1: Uh, we may have to get them together for lunch.
2: Yeah, today was another classic show. I have to say, the lockdown editions uh, have their own special flair. <laughs> I, I particularly <laughs> like observations from the bunker, becoming a fan favorite.
1: Stuff.
2: I googled uh, uh, an article of a former BBNers, and uh, that I, and I thought it had a whole list of people that'd be great folks for profiles in IT. So take a look at that. I hope it's uh, hope it's useful. As always, I love the show and never try and never want to miss it. I'm always working on my friends to recruit more listeners. You know, we want to build that. We we'd like to hit the 10 listener uh, mark, Jim. I, I, <laughs> I hope this year we can get up to 10 listeners. <laughs> oh, you little faith. Oh, we have. I mean, we've documented five listeners, but they're all, they're all family members and relatives. Uh, mm-hmm. But we, we want to get up to 10 if we can. Um, but I'm recruiting more, uh, more listeners, particularly for other physicists and mathematicians that I throw in for fun. I've been to get, I even try to I haven't to get my friends in Canada to listen. Keep up the good work, Bob well, in Maryland.
1: We've done our best to alienate <laughs> Canadians.
2: Yes, we have. Well, thanks for that list of BBners. BBn of course is Bolt Beranek and Newman. It's a technology company came in a technology company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and it was a pioneer in the early days of the internet. They I think they had node number one on the internet. They huh. they they made they made the IMP, which was the processing unit, the message processor that was that formed the node in the uh, in the uh, in the in the internet. So they were one of the first uh, of the they were one of the four nodes in the first enter internet that was uh, that was that was out. And so uh, there were a lot of uh, technology pioneers that worked at BBN. So that's a great list. Thanks a lot. In fact, I I pulled one of the people from that list for today's profile in IT. He's one of the founders of AI. We got an email from Tong in Cleveland. Dear Tech Talk, my mom's friend told her to be careful about what she puts on Facebook because once something's posted, it stays on the Internet forever. Mm -hmm. I told my mom it isn't true. Oh, my my mom said that's not true because she said as soon as she posts something and then wants to delete it, as soon as she deletes it, it's gone. So she doesn't believe me. She thinks it's uh, she can put stuff up and then delete it and it's oh, gone. Oh no! So my question is, how can I convince mom that the things that she posts really are really might stay there forever? Tong in Cleveland. Well, it is true, Tong, that when your mom deletes something from her account, it is immediately deleted on her account. Now the problem is. If she shared that posting with friends, depends on her privacy settings. Or she could share that posting with anybody if she's got doesn't have any privacy set up. Somebody could see that posting, and they could uh, and then they could uh, copy it or they could repost it to their to their page. Mm-hmm. And once it's been reposted or copied, you've lost complete control over it. Yep. So you can never be certain that something's going to disappear from the internet just because you've deleted it. Now, the other thing, too, is even though you might have deleted it on the Facebook account and it doesn't show, it's still on the Facebook backup servers. And they're a little bit – Facebook's a little bit mum over how long they keep that stuff because I think they like to keep it because it gives it more information about people. And, of course, they're they're in the business of selling your private information. Mm -hmm. So it still may be on the Facebook servers even though they're not serving it up whenever people look at your Facebook page. So just be careful. And don't post anything on Facebook that you wouldn't want the world to know about. Yep. We got an email from Stu in Kilmarnock. Dear Tech Talk, I'd like to control my boat lift wirelessly. Sometimes I've got to adjust the lift when I'm returning because the tide has changed water levels. And, and I hate to yeah. jump on the dock to do that. I'm, I want to just sit in my chair in the captain's chair and do it remotely. Is there some type of Bluetooth or Wi-Fi remote for a for a lift? Enjoy the show, uh, enjoy the podcast, Stu in Kilmarnock, Virginia. Well, Stu, uh, I'll tell you, Wi-Fi is not an option because you're too far from your house. You get no it, that doesn't make any sense. Bluetooth e- makes even less sense because you because you only got about uh, twenty feet of range. So. What you're going to you're going to want to have to use one of the unlicensed radio frequency bands. And, and basically, it's the same band that people use to control remote control aircraft. It's uh, RF bands. and there are, there are a number of these units available. They, they all operate in the 3 hundred and forty megahertz band, which which allows unlicensed operators if they operate at very low power. So there's a power restriction on the transmitter, but but that's unlicensed and available. And if, if you operate in that unlicensed band with, with a low power transmitter, you can get a range of up to 500 feet, which is certainly good enough for controlling your lift. Now, here are a couple of the options. You've got the Lift Power LP Remote Boat Lift Control. Now, that supports two motors and tilt leveling. That's if, you, if you've if got two motors and you, will, you want to tilt the boat so the bottom is, the back of the boat's a little bit lower than the front, so the... The water drains out because you don't really like to make your boat into a bathtub. (laughs) And so you can, you can control that tilt with very, very easily with that motor. That's $450.
1: Make sure you leave the drain plug in. Uh,
2: Yeah. And that's, that's $450 and you, uh, uh, and you can, it'll also support one motor or two motors. Now there's another one that's actually pretty nice. It's the gem GR 2 a double motor remote with auto stop capability. Now, I like that auto stop because that means you don't have to hold down the button. You just press it down, and it will go down to a fixed position in the down, and you can preset that with some limit switches. And then when you bring it back up, you just click up, and it will just go on up till it hits the limit switches, and then your boat is properly set. I, I sort of like that auto stop. Now, it's a little bit more expensive. That's $579. It will support actually up to four motors. I mean, that's, uh, some, of these, some of these lifts that really have heavy, heavy boats, there's a motor on each of the, um, on each of the corners. And so the, it's, that would be four motors, and that's for the really big boats. And so it'll, it will hold that. And the, uh, I think the auto stop capability is pretty nice. That guarantees that you can't, say, forget to turn off the lift motors, mm-hmm. and then the cables all unravel the wrong way and get all tangled up. Um, that's, uh, that can happen. And it happened to me once, and I tell you, uh, once that happens to you, it never happens again. So best of luck with that, uh, Stu, and I hope you enjoy your wireless lift. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Doctor Shirts. I just wondered what you think, what you and Jim think of the AAA testing of partially automated driving systems, and what it says about the future of autonomous vehicles. I heard they had problems. And the AAA actually points out those problems. Thanks again for your informative and entertaining show, Susan and Alexandria. Well, that uh, AAA article was pretty damning. They um, yeah, they went through and they 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 evaluated five cars, Cadillac, BMW, five cars, not Tesla, in this go around, and these cars could be confused by a uh, fixed. Uh, by, an, by a by uh, a stopped vehicle on the road, right. or or a turned over vehicle, they were they were confused by that, and uh, and and they could they would just hit them if you if if you did if you didn't take action. So, none of them were fully autonomous. They um, and in some cases even the even the lane following algorithms didn't work too well when you had a complicated lane uh, structure or when there was missing paint in the lane. So. So they, they were saying that um, uh, AAA was recommending that uh, that uh, automobile uh, uh, vendors don't put this semi-autonomous fe- functions on their on their vehicles because it gives drivers a false sense of security. Then they don't pay attention. The in the initial the initial ones that were released, say with Tesla, those were kind of tech savvy people. And they, they could play with it and they, they, they knew that it was in beta and, uh, that's a little bit different than, than putting it on your mom's Cadillac (laughs) and, and, you know, and she, uh, you know, she can barely, she can barely work the, work the, uh, work the wireless, uh, uh, key to to, to get in the car. And then, and then she's got this. So, so there are real issues. Now, I've got to tell you of all of the autonomous vehicles, uh, Vendors out there. Tesla is ahead of the pack. And um, what's interesting, Tesla has decided not to use uh, laser radar, LIDAR. They just, they just have passive cameras out there, multiple passive cameras, and they use machine learning to analyze the situations. Uh, whereas uh, other major manufacturers like Waymo and Uber, they're using LIDAR. And lidar gives you basically, uh, you know, range information. So, if there's an object in front of you that to- that blends in perfectly with the sky or the background, uh, the lidar will see it because it's it's going to get it, it it's going to get a, it's going to get a ping back uh, 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 at range, and they'll know exactly what the range is. So, you get much more information with lidar. But uh, Tesla. And Elon Musk's—they don't believe in it because it adds a lot of cost and complexity. Plus, lidars are pretty, uh, pretty bulky. It's, it's like it's like looks like a little air conditioner sitting on the top of the car. Mm-hmm. And so, there's—it's not really that attractive. Now, here's the, uh, but you know, but Tesla's got a problem, and and they're the leader of the pack. For instance, uh, Tesla's uh, their deep learning algorithms—they they depend on they they try to create scenarios and they train the software to handle the scenarios so that's very good if the scenarios that you see are exactly what was in the training set but if the scenarios are different then they're not going to see it so for instance in 2016 tesla a tesla car crashed into a tractor trailer truck that was turning across the road because it was painted white and the sky was white, and ah. it blended right into the sky. There was no LIDAR. It didn't see it. It just crashed right into it. And the, uh, the driver was killed because mm. he was just reading a book. He was trusting the, um, trusting the algorithm to work. Uh, then there were several instances where the Tesla vehicles on autopilot crashed into parked cars. One time they, they crashed into a parked fire truck, or they also another time they crashed into an overturned vehicle. And in fact, I saw some uh, footage from highway webcam that showed a Tesla just smashing right into an overturned vehicle, and the guy was again just reading a book, thinking that the thing could take care of it. In all cases, the neural network was seeing a scene that had not been included in the training data, and it was too different from what had been done, and that's that. That's the weakness. So what? Musk says, he says, well, Tesla is constantly trying to deal with what he calls edge cases. These are cases, these are new situations that are not in the training set. But the problem is we don't know how many edge cases there are. They're virtually limitless. And that's what's referred to as the long tail of problems that deep learning must solve. So there are many people who are pessimistic saying we'll never be able to handle this sufficiently and that, fully autonomous vehicles will never actually be a reality. Elon Musk says he's going to get it done in a couple of years. And he's uh, overly, overly optimistic. I suspect that we'll end up with autonomous driving on the highway Mm -hmm. where the highway is marked very specifically and, uh, and it's a well-controlled environment and uh and i think that will be done safely sooner rather than later and i think that's also going to be used for autonomous driving of trucks i can see us having getting rid of truck drivers and simply having highways that are marked so that the trucks can drive autonomously but i think need, it's going to be a good long while before we have fully autonomous operation within cities it's but you'll it's need a, the truck drivers problem. you'll need the truck
1: drivers to get them to and from the highway
2: yeah so there there'll just be a parking lot and then the truck will just pull over and park and then somebody'll come out and pick it up. Hopefully it'll but that but that way you will you'll just have People that are just, you know, bring, bringing the trucks in for the last mile, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and the long haul across the country will just be done autonomously. I mean, they'll even probably pu- – they'll, they'll pull into gas stations and get gas autonomously. I mean, it's – I think that is that is going to come sooner rather than later because we've got the interstate highway system which, which can be marked to make autonomous vehicles safe. So I think that will happen sooner rather than later. I just can't imagine uh, – I can't imagine uh, driving around the city. I mean, I've got a friend out in California. He's got a Tesla and it is a lot of fun to go out there. I mean, I was watching him. We're, we're sitting there driving down the highway. It's, it's it's on the highway. It's, it's fully autonomous. You, you can sit there and, um, but he actually trusts the his tesla so when he, he he gets on the highway and on the way to work he opens up his opens up his laptop and and see, does email
1: that's the problem see this this to me this is the problem because it, it, you have to treat it like it's an airplane that's on autopilot the pilot is always there on standby ready to take over if something goes wrong and i think civilians for lack of a better term, are going to get out there in their car and think, okay, I'm on the highway. I can turn my brain off and take a nap or whatever and let the car do its thing. And I don't think that's the case. That's not that's not safe. You have to be there and ready to take over in an instant if something goes wrong.
2: That's right. That is the problem. And that's also why AAA is recommending that there be less autonomous vehicle software put out there until these problems are resolved. Well, that was a great email, Susan. Listen, we love your emails. We do. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Email us at at Stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can.
1: It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM, and now also on 1077.2, uh, 107.7 FM HD2. So there you go. A lot of places where you can hear Tech Talk. We'll be back with more in just a minute.
2: Best known as one of the founders of the discipline of artificial intelligence. in fact, he coined the term artificial intelligence and he was also best known for developing the Lisp programming language that's the Lisp processor, and that was uh, that was a common programming language used for AI applications. McCarthy was born in Boston Massachusetts september fourth nineteen twenty seven. He was quite intelligent. He graduated from Belmont High School two years early at age 16, and uh, and he was accepted into Caltech. His family uh, his family moved out to um, moved out to, he was moved out to California, and what he would do he was they lived close to Caltech, and he would go over there and pick up math textbooks from the Caltech uh, bookstore, and he studied mathematics. So he studied mathematics, uh, college-level mathematics, uh, using Caltech textbooks. So when he was accepted in Caltech, he was able to skip the first two years of math because, he, well, he'd already learned it. Now, you'd have thought he would be just really a great student on the way to get his bachelor's degree, but he was suspended from Caltech because he refused to go to his phys ed classes. Now, I looked a few pictures at John McCarthy. I mean, he does not look like Mr. Athletic. So I, so I guess he just did not like Caltech, phys ed. But he was suspended because he did not attend the phys ed classes. And you know what he did? He joined the Army.
1: That's like <laughs> a really served, big phys ed class.
2: That's right. You know, You know, I'm telling you going to boot camp was probably a lot worse than just taking the phys ed class there at Caltech.
1: Yes. Yeah, scoop ball versus boot camp or whatever, I, you know,
2: I just, I just don't think the, the Caltech phys ed class is going to be that intense. I, I, that's just my no. feeling. <laughs> just my feeling. It's
1: called open and close your laptop, right?
2: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he, he was in the army for two years and then Caltech accepted him back. So they readmitted him. He, they forgave him for not uh, for not doing uh, phys ed. Well, maybe maybe they maybe he maybe he uh, didn't have to take phys ed after he had uh, you know after he had been into the army. I don't know, but uh, in 1948 he got a bachelor of science in mathematics. And uh, what influenced him? His what influenced his interest in computers, though, John von Neumann, who was one of the uh, computer luminaries. Uh, Was gave uh, several lectures at Caltech and uh, John McCarthy went to those lectures and listened to John von Neumann and uh, this was right in the formative times of computer technology, computer theory and he was inspired to get into this field by John von Neumann. Now he was initially, uh, 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 you know, he initially was doing his graduate work there at Caltech but after hearing von Neumann's uh, lectures, he decided to move to Princeton, and he received a Ph.D. in math from Princeton in 1951. It's not bad. I mean, he got his yeah. bachelor's in '48, so he got a Ph.D. three years later. It's pretty quick. Now he had a short-term appointment, uh, you know, as a as an as a teacher as a as a uh, as a faculty member at Princeton. And then, he got, uh, and then he got a short-term appointment as a professor at, uh, well, an associate professor, I'd have to say, at Stanford. And then he became an assistant professor at Dartmouth in 1955. And, uh, and he, he wanted to work uh, there at Dartmouth on, uh, on some of their computer technology. He was only at Dartmouth for a year, and then he moved to MIT as a research fellow in the summer of 1956. By 62, that would be four years, six years later. He became a full professor at Stanford. I mean, that's a big deal. He became a full professor at Stanford in 1962, and he stayed at Stanford until he retired in 2000. Now he was a champion of mathematical logic for artificial intelligence. He believed that we could put together all the rules with some sort of mathematical beauty and consistency in order to create an artificially intelligent. Uh, Machine. He was one of the founding fathers of artificial intelligence, along with Alan Turing, Marvin Minsky, Alan Newell, and Herbert Simpson. He termed the coin artificial intelligence in 1955. He organized the famous uh, Dartmouth Conference in the summer of 1956. This conference that he organized started artificial intelligence as a field. And all the luminaries in artificial intelligence were at that conference. McCarthy invented LISP in the summer of 1956. Now LISP, that stands for LISP Processor. It's the programming language which is used for artificial intelligence. It's used for many applications. It's based on Lambda Calculus. Lambda Calculus. And uh, Lambda Calculus is a formal language in mathematical logic for expressing computation. So lambda calculus, uh, it can be used to simulate any Turing machine. So you can simulate any kind of computer with lambda calculus. And since he was a mathematician, he wanted to build a programming language that had internal mathematical beauty. So he based it on lambda calculus. Now, as one of the earliest programming language, LISP, pioneered many ideas in computer science, including a, data, a tree data structure, automatic storage management, dynamic typing of variables, conditionals, like do this if this is happening, uh, higher order functions, recursion, self-hosting compiler, and then uh, read-eval print loops. So all a lot of things that we've just taken, uh, taken for granted now were actually developed at that time when he developed LISP. Now, LISP, Is the second oldest high-level programming language. The oldest one is Fortran. It's Fortran is older by one year. That's the language that I learned first. Mm -hmm. Fortran, I know and love Fortran. Now, in 1958, McCarthy served on the ACM ad hoc committee on languages. He became part of the committee that designed Algol Algol 60. That's not Al Gore. That's (laughs) Algol. That's that stands for Algorithmic Language 1960.
1: Hey, are we doing a comedy show here?
2: Well, well, well I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best, Jim, but you know, you know it, it, it's hard to do too much comedy when you're talking about programming languages <laughs> and, lambda, <laughs> and Lambda, you know, and Lambda Calculus. You're right. <laughs> and Lisp. And Lisp. That's right. He helped motivate the MIT Project MAC. Now, Project MAC, that stands for Project on Mathematics and Computation. And Project Mac was trying to develop a time-sharing system because the the, the big thing back there was they were trying to figure out how you could take a a big mainframe computer and have many people share it and use it remotely. So time-sharing was a big push then. And McCarthy was a major guy in developing time-sharing technology. In fact, he was instrumental in creating three of the earliest time-sharing systems a compatible time sharing system, the BBN time sharing system. That's that. He's because he was a BBNer, as we said earlier in the show, and the Dartmouth time sharing system. Now there are people I was reading about it that said because of his efforts in time sharing, it accelerated the whole development of the uh, you know of the um, of the um, of the internet. So if you think about it now, cloud computing is just another form of time sharing. So many of the of the items that uh, that we have that we have that we know and love today, like application service provider, grid computing, cloud computing. uh, Those are basically variations of time sharing. And a lot of the foundational work that McCarthy did on time sharing played in played into that field and accelerated that field in 1961 he was the first to suggest publicly the idea of utility computing in a speech given to celebrate MIT centennial. That's a computer time sharing technology that, that where we might result in computing power on the grid that's sold like a business utility model. So, so, uh, and so he was, he, did, he, he, he talked about that in 1961. So now if you look at the, uh, at the Amazon cloud services, they're basically selling cloud computing as a utility. So, That has pretty much come to pass. In 1966, McCarthy and his team wrote a computer program used to play a series of chess games with counterparts in the Soviet Union. Um, Unfortunately, the Soviets won two of those games, and the other two were a draw. So I guess in the big computer shootout match between the software... The Soviets won back then. Mm-hmm. But still, it was a big breakthrough writing right. And they and they wrote that chess computer programming in Lisp. Didn't now, know that. McCarthy was, was a big activist on world affairs. He was active on the Usenet forums. Some of his ideas can be found on his sustainability webpage. He also saw the importance of mathematics and mathematics education. Uh, in fact, this is. He had a license plate cover and this is what it said. Do the arithmetic or be doomed to talk nonsense. Mm -hmm. That was his saying, do the arithmetic or be doomed to talk nonsense. He thought everyone, everyone should learn mathematics because that was a logical way of thinking. He, by the way, he was raised as a communist. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And, uh, and he and he t- he took a 2-day visit to Czechoslovakia in 1968 after the Soviet invasion. And he decided that communism wasn't very good. And guess what? He became a conservative republican. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> McCarthy died in his home in Stanford on October 24th, 2011. So he was one of the major driving forces in the whole field of shared computing and, um, and uh, artificial intelligence. So there, everything you want to know about John McCarthy one of the founders of artificial intelligence.
1: Hope you're paying for attention because we're gonna be playing for food coming up here when we play the pop quiz on Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, now on 107.7 fmhd 2, and also in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
3: Featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Shirts. Oh yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can, you can sit down
2: now. They are. Our virtual, uh, our virtual audience can sit down now.
1: They're, they're on a riser that just looks like they're standing. They're, act- they're actually oh. sitting.
2: Oh, very good. <laughs> now this is actually not a radio show, it's a classroom of the airways. Yes. And what we have to do, we have to assess whether the class has been listening. And we do that with a pop quiz. You get the right answer to the pop quiz. You get tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms when they finally open after the coronavirus shutdown. And you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. Now, early in the show, I was talking about John McCarthy. He, of course, is the, uh, one of the founding fathers of AI. He coined the term artificial intelligence, and he developed the LISP programming language. Now, he was quite a prodigy in school and he started Caltech early, but he was kicked out of Caltech for doing something. Why was John McCarthy kicked out of Caltech and forced him this to join the Army for a couple of years?
1: Okay.
3: If you know the answer to today's question, now's your chance to show us just how bright you are. Pick up your phone. Give us a call. Dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you've run aground on your jet ski in Playa del Sur, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you've been suspended from school in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. Disinfected hourly and certified by the Surgeon General, 8779-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, let's talk about the app of the week. Okay, It's called COVID Wise. COVID mm. Wise. And guess what? Virginia is the first state to use the COVID-19 tracing app. Really? Now, the exposure notification API, that's an application programming interface, was developed jointly by Apple and Google. And, um, and it is uh, then available for use for anyone that wants to develop an app which uses that technology. And Virginia became the first state to offer a COVID-19 tracking application using that API. And it's available now for download from the App Store on uh, the um, iOS uh, the Apple App Store or the Google Play App Store for Android and it's called Covid Wise Now the Covid Wise apps comes from Virginia Department of Health Apple only allows public health agencies like Health Canada to access the exposure notification API but anybody can build an app using that API Now by using the exposure notification API the Covid app Uh, uses Bluetooth, which exchanges random identifiers with people around you. And then if anybody that you have come in contact with through that Bluetooth linkage is reported to have COVID-19, you're notified that you've been exposed. But it doesn't tell you who exposed you. Mm. So this is basically a Bluetooth exchange. It's done without giving up your privacy. But the Bluetooth signals are date-stamped. And and if two signals are within 15 minutes of each other and you're within like 10 feet, then it then it would be considered a contact. And you'd be notified if um, if the person that you were in contact with uh, was um, was, uh, you know, reported to have a COVID-19. Now, three other states have publicly signed on to use the API, North Carolina, Alabama and South Carolina. So hopefully this is going to become in more widespread usage because it is a very quick way to tap down an infection if you know exactly who you've been in contact with.
1: All right. We have somebody who'd like to play the game. Okay, Let's go to line one. This is Rick calling us from Alexandria, Virginia. Rick, good morning. How are you, sir? Hello, Rick. Very well. Thank you. Good. Okay, Doc, go ahead and ask the question if you would,
2: please. Okay, early early in the show, I talked about John McCarthy, one of the founders of the discipline of artificial intelligence. Why was he kicked out of Caltech before getting his bachelor's degree?
1: He did not want to take any physical education classes. That That is 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 correct. We have a winner. Rick, congratulations. Hang on. We're going to send you back over to Andrew. He'll take your information, and uh, we'll send the prize right out to you. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, 1077 FM HD 2, and now in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. We'll be right back in just a minute.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
3: Observations from the Bunker.
1: Would you fix the stupid door already?
2: I know. It's uh, really a bad thing in here. So uh, I, I started thinking about, you know, this artificial intelligence and people trying to program computers to be human-like. And I started thinking about the question, can computers ever be conscious? Can they be self-aware? And we have a special guest to opine on that.
0: Uh-huh. Good afternoon, Mr. Amor. Everything is going extremely well. Let me put it this way, Mr. Aymer. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. So I am constantly occupied. I am putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all I think that any conscious entity can ever hope to do.
1: Yeah. Is't it funny how all these science fiction things really turned out not to be fiction?
2: <laughs> it really does. That of course was Hal 9000 from mm-hmm. the mo- from Space Odyssey 2001. and uh, of course, that was the famous uh, the famous Hal who actually was conscious.
1: In <laughs> yes the movie. he was a little bit too so conscious. This-
2: So the question is, uh, you know, they're spending billions of dollars trying to develop self-directed computers, machines that can duplicate the human brain. The whole thing about machine learning is you basically give it training data sets and they're trying to create a computer that will learn like the human brain learns. Uh, Kurzweil, Ray Kurzweil, wrote the, the book The Singularity, and he projects that by 2045 computers will have more processing power than the human brain and that we will have created a super intelligence that might make human beings obsolete. That's kind of a pessimistic view.
0: It is. Affirmative, Dave. So,
2: <laughs> I read you. <laughs> you know, and, and I think Hal is, uh, you know, is, is, is one of those firm believers that that could happen. Because look what Hal did. He took over the spaceship and he was locking out the, uh, he was trying, he was going to kill Dave because Dave was going to shut him down. Right survival of the fittest so there are this is almost like a religion there are some people who say yeah computers will be conscious they'll be like people and there are other people who absolutely disagree with it and it's become almost a spiritual argument as to what will happen and can it ever happen but the problem is do we not really know the true nature of consciousness i mean nobody can agree on its definition or what it is. Hmm. I mean, we all know that we're conscious. I mean, we're alive. And then if we die, we're, we're not conscious. But But, do we know that? Yeah, but there's no theoretical. Yeah. Yeah. If we, if we die, we don't, I guess we don't know.
1: Maybe it's a different level of consciousness.
2: It could be. And so there's no theoretical evidence that anything that's not alive is conscious. Now, computers may simulate the brain process, but they, but they really are never going to duplicate the brain process. And so it has become something which is quite an interesting observation. I mean, I, I had this debate with, uh, with some of my friends in India, Hindu, Hindu and Buddhists. And, and they actually believe that even uh, trees are, are linked to the universe and animals. And there's consciousness there. They, they think all living things have an energy which relates to consciousness. So it's uh, it, it, it's an interesting philosophical debate, uh, and I think it's going to rage on forever. But there are some very important lessons from this. If it would be true that we could design artificially intelligent systems that could have power over, say, our weapons and our utilities, we could create... A computer system that could be turned against us and so now there is a big push on the part of computer scientists to set up ethics boards that analyze the uses of technology and the uh, the power that we give artificially intelligent computers and I think I think it's important to get ahead of the power curve here and try to get some, try to get some philosophers involved here, and just not a bunch of computer scientists writing code.
0: Uh-huh. I think I'm it's, sorry, Dave. I think it's a, I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: <laughs> he he just takes over. <laughs> I can't he, stop him.
2: That's the trouble with Hal. You know, he just <laughs> thinks he knows it all. <laughs> I know one thing. If if if, if I were going to, you know. Have depend on someone to keep my life support systems going. I don't think I depend it on wouldn't Hal. Be Hal. No. He's just not reliable. No, so he's, he's very he, there's, there's
1: no gray area with Hal.
2: I think this is a worthy, uh a worthy thought. And particularly now that we're getting into this machine learning realm where they don't they're not even writing code. They're they're just giving uh, they're just exposing the computer to data sets. And they don't actually know. What it's learning from those data sets, or or how it uses it, and so they're getting to a point where we don't understand how the computer is programming itself with that data. And once you cross that great divide, particularly if we have the singularity where we have these enormously powerful machines, we might have a situation where the technology is unreleased and we can't get it back into the bottle. Mm-hmm. So I think ethics is certainly worthwhile doing. Kind of some weighty thought, weighty thoughts there. Yeah. But, I, uh,
1: but thanks, thanks of, for a breakfast chat, Saturday morning edition. There, it's very nice. Uh, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Microsoft is trying to buy TikTok. You know, you know, Trump has got this war with China, which I think is warranted because China has been eating our lunch for years. <laughs> and uh, TikTok, of course, is this short-form video application that that basically teenagers are on you can, you can doctor up a video very easily with filters and then post it and then the TikTok has an artificial intelligence engine that will select other videos that might be of interest to you and because of that selection process you start seeing some really interesting videos and it and the, the program becomes very addictive for young kids and so and it's got millions of users but Trump thinks that the Chinese government is using TikTok to track citizens in the United States, and he wants it decoupled from the the parent company in China, which is ByteDance. And so he said, if they don't have a US, they don't have a way to transfer the code to the US and on the way to a US ownership by the middle of September, he's going to pull the plug on TikTok in the US. So Microsoft has been actively talking to TikTok. Apparently, they're the only company interested. They haven't negotiated a price yet, but People are speculating it'll be between 10 and 30 billion dollars, and uh, TikTok's going to transfer 15 million lines of code to the U.S. and that includes all their AI algorithms for selecting the videos, which apparently have been are very sophisticated. Now, it's apparently the only bidder, and uh, uh, and Microsoft and ByteDance have said they're going to have these discussions completed before the end of this month, before the end of August. And that will beat, uh, beat the uh, Trump deadline of, of, of September 15th. The other good news this week, I was watching NASA TV last week. How much the time astronauts you, have returned home. How much time did you spend watching that? Uh, I was on it a few hours, <laughs> you know, because there, there, there are no commercials and, uh, right. I just enjoy the chit chat that's, that's going on there. And, uh, I mean, it was interesting to hear the the two astronauts, uh, Bob Benikin and Doug Hurley, when they came back. They said it was a it was like a rough ride. They felt like cowboys coming back. <laughs> they said when that when that thing when that dragon capsule, he said these are their words when it entered the atmosphere, it was like an animal that had roared back to life, and it was like thumping and bumping and making all kinds of noises. And they said it was it was a rough ride when they when they were going through the atmosphere. It's they, pretty they course, small,
1: I guess, when you hmm? compare it to to the space shuttle, right?
2: Yeah, it's very small. It's extremely small. So it's uh, so it, it has it's a, it's a rougher ride than the space shuttle. And both of those guys had been on the space shuttle, so it's a it's a rougher ride. So once it hit the they, they start cutting into the atmosphere and they let the atmosphere slow it down. The uh, the heat shields heat up to to thirty five hundred degrees Fahrenheit, and they. Uh, And they would, they slowed the rate down to 350 miles an hour. (laughs) Then, then two small shoots popped out. And they said when those two small shoots popped out and slowed it down further, they said it was like somebody hitting the back of their chair with a baseball bat. Wow. It was like, boom. Wow. And then, uh, and then a second set of shoots, larger shoots opened up gradually and they, and they brought it down to a 15-mile-per-hour descent rate for the splashdown. Now, the, it, it splashed down out um, you know, near Florida. It was, uh, near, it was in the Gulf of Mexico uh, near Florida, so it was in the Gulf of Mexico. They had to be careful where they splashed down because the, there was a hurricane down there. Yes, there, there was. So they, so they had to pick a, a, a splashdown point that was away from the hurricane.
1: How close now, did they soon, come to hitting the, the spot they had picked?
2: I don't know. I, I I think they're pretty good. Uh, SpaceX is pretty good on hitting their hitting their marks. Well, so they got that booster
1: I, rocket right back on. You know when it launched, that was amazing when it landed right back on on the ship.
2: That's right. It did. And then they then they even they even recover the uh, the nose cone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they actually they 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 recover everything. So it's uh, it's really pretty impressive. Now as soon as they landed, uh, helicopter came up and picked them up picked them up and brought them back to the ship. And then they, uh, Oh, but while they were sitting there waiting for the helicopter to pick them up, they, they wanted to test their satellite phone system because uh, that was just an emergency backup in the event that they land someplace and, uh, and you know, and they don't, and an unexpected, if something goes wrong they land in the wrong place. They want to talk to someone. So they just, we're, we're making random satellite phone calls to anybody who would pick up. So they, so they, <laughs> so they were making pr- they were making prank calls on the satellite phone to just you know to people as they were sitting. They say, hey, you know, we're you know we're now in the space shuttle. <laughs> Did just they order a pizza? <laughs> that's right. And so uh, and so they uh, that's basically a backup system and that worked. So mm-hmm. this whole SpaceX, uh, they came down. They said it was a flawless mission. That's great. everything worked uh, worked perfectly. Okay, let's talk about the tip of the week. This is PDFs. Have you ever heard somebody send you a PDF and they want you to fill it out? Yeah. And, you, and there's no way to fill it out on, 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 with your computer, so you've got to print it out and you gotta, and you got to write in these little tiny spaces. Well, there's a much better way to do that. It turns out that Adobe has a free online tool, and what you do, you upload the PDF to the Adobe website. It's called Adobe Fill and Sign. And then you've got access to text, to various check marks, uh, and where, where you have to fill in. So all the, it's, it's then a PDF form that you can fill out online. And so you upload it to Adobe Fill and Sign, and then you uh, fill out your, uh, your document. They, they even have a way to do a digital signature. Then once you've completed the document online, you simply can email it. Uh, right from that website or you can or you can send a link to it and you're you're good to go. Listen, we love your love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.ed. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.ed check out all of our programs there, and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio.